Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. Pull up a chair while I take a deeper dive into the concerns for the team's present and future. (coughs) Questions are always welcomed, whether on Twitter, Tim815, on the Anchor Contest Line, or on my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence group. (coughs) Thanks for stopping by for today's episode mock drafts and trades and ask me questions if I was confusing. I'm not going to talk about mock drafts today, really, at least not from a baseball perspective, but mock drafts are the center core of this podcast. Back, what was it? Frank Gore's rookie year. Frank Gore and Julius Jones and who else came out that year? Uh, Kevin Jones, all three were rookie running backs in the NFL in the first year that I was a fantasy football player. Fantasy football, for about seven or eight years, became the thing I did. It was the thing I did. During baseball season, I was paying more attention to fantasy football. During fantasy football, uh, during football season, I was paying attention to fantasy football. At two in the morning, I was paying... <coughs> paying attention to fantasy football. At two in the afternoon, I was paying attention to fantasy football. It was what I did. It was what I paid attention to. In the off-season of the NFL, (coughs) I was paying attention to fantasy football, trying to figure out which players made the most sense for my upcoming mock, or for my upcoming league draft. I would do mock drafts if these six players were on the board. Which player would I be most interested in? And it became the mindset. It became my mindset. Knowing which player makes the most sense was what I was about. And it got to a point where I was relatively good at, okay, these 12 wide receivers, they're all pretty much interchangeable. I have no way of knowing which one is going to be better than the other. There is no information out there. Um, I can't know that. And one or two of them will probably have a great season. And there will be no way after the fact that I can say, oh, I should have known that. No, I shouldn't have because there's a whole lot of randomness in anything involving sports. Trying to figure out what you can possibly know and what you can't possibly know is a large part of mock drafts, or anything in sports. So what's that have to do with mock drafts and whatever the other thing I was talking about was, um, trades. When it comes to making a trade, there are three basic sorts of trades. One is, I'm going to trade you, my veteran, for your prospect. One is, I'm going to trade you my prospect for your veteran. Then the third type of trade is, I'm going to trade this basket of players for that basket of players because I really think that basket of players is better. Those are the three types of trades that are out there. And most of the Cubs' trades at the deadline were veteran for prospect. The only one that was arguably player for players was Craig Kimbrell 
for <coughs> Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer. The Cubs figured that on their timeline, Hoyer and Madrigal made more sense than Kimbrell. For the White Sox, it was the other, and we'll see how it ends up playing out. But there are three types of trades. One is my veteran for your kids. One is my kids for your veteran. And one is the challenge trade. I think my guys are better. Or I think your guys are better than my guys is actually what it ends up being. Because you're trading away your guys to get their guys. So I guess some of that could be my headache for your headache. Could be, maybe, possibly, potentially, maybe. Okay. Um, one sort of trade is absolutely simple to do. Absolutely simple to do. And the best example, the best example, the best example ever will be right before the trade deadline happened. I don't know how many minutes it was before the trade deadline. Probably 10 minutes, 5 minutes, something like that. Jed Hoyer and the people from San Diego talking. Hey, you guys want Jake Marisnik? Yeah, sure, we love Jake Marisnik. What are you going to give us? Uh, how about we unload Anderson and Espinosa on you? Okay, fine, done, bye. And the trade was finished. I'm imagining that's probably about how it went. Might might have been more arguing, might have been more contentious than that. But it was probably, oh, you want Marisnik? Okay, that, that's interesting. What are you willing to give us? Well, how about uh, Anderson and Espinosa? Okay, we're done. That, that'll, that'll, I'll, I'll text the league. Um, those trades are easy. Those trades are easy because Jake Marisnik could have hit 475 down the stretch for San Diego and led them to the World Series, and it was still a good trade for the Cubs because Marisnik was dead money. He wasn't coming back. He wasn't going to be re-signed before the end of the season. He wasn't going to sign an extension. He was playing out the string, and he got traded to San Diego. He was playing out the string, and Anderson Espinosa, an actual valid prospect, came back in a turn. Those trades are easy. You're unloading something, that might as well get rid of him too. Might as well get rid of this guy. Might as well get rid of Ryan Tapera. Might as well get rid of all these guys because almost all of them were not coming back. Trade them <coughs> for the best return offered. Trade them for the best return offered. Those trades are simple because what are you bringing back? I think I already told you, the best offer made available. If a team would have made <coughs> a better offer than, let's say, Alexander Canario and Caleb Killian. The Giants offered Caleb Killian and Alexander Canario for Chris Bryant. If someone, the Phillies or the Royals or the Pirates or the Mets, would have offered more for Chris Bryant, then that would have been the accepted trade. You sit back, you wait, you do some calls, you hang around. Hey, yeah, this guy's available. This guy's available. This guy's available. You might want this guy. He might help your team. He's etc. And then the offers come in. You decide, okay, that's the best one. We'll take that one. That's best offer for him. We'll take that. That's the best offer for him. We'll take that. Okay, nine guys are out the door, and we have more prospects. Now let's call up. Um, Let's call up Frank Schwindel to play first base and play out the season. Those trades are simple. The hard trades, the hard trades are the other ones. I have this player sitting here that is potentially five or six years of 
being a full-time major league player if he properly develops. Do I trade him? That's the tough one. That's the real tough one because you don't know what you're trading. With Jake Marisnik, Jake Marisnik traded. What was he going to be? Maximum, what, three, four-tenths of a win for the Cubs? Maximum? You know, he might have been a little bit higher than that. But if he'd have gone three or four-tenths of a wins above for the Cubs down the stretch for the last two months in September and uh, August and September, that would have been stunning because they weren't going to play him. They were, his job was not to, he was a free agent. He was a pending free agent. He was traded. He was let go. It was easy to get him. He went away, and nobody was really all that upset because that's how it works when you're dealing with a player who really doesn't matter all that much anymore. Those trades are easy. The trades that are hard are the ones that bring back talent that will get wins in October. Those are the trades that are tough. And it's not, it's not that there's only one option of what will happen. People like to think that, okay, you make a trade for a veteran. The White Sox traded for Craig Kimbrell. There were any of a various number of different seasonal results Kimbrell could have given the White Sox in August, in September and in October. There were a number of different options. He could have done well. He could have done fantastically well. He could have struggled in the eighth, but once they decided to move him to the ninth, he could have done well there. There were any of a various number of different options of how Craig Kimbrell could have... The way he turned out was how he turned out. But that was not the only option. That was the one option that ended up happening but it was not the only option. It was what happened. Same for Oraldus Chapman. When he came back in trade, he could have been fantastic. He could have been okay. He could have stunk. He could have gotten injured in his second game. And those are the tough trades. Those are the trades that are very tough to make because you don't know what you are getting back specifically. You don't. People might do the oh, but I know what he is because I've seen him play. You don't know what he's going to do. Baseball doesn't work like that. The hard trades to make are the ones where you are trading something that you don't know what you're giving up and getting back something that you don't know what you're going to be receiving. Now, you you know the player, but you don't know how the player is going to do. Chris Bryant, was he supposed to do as well as he did with the Giants? Was he maybe supposed to do a little bit better? Did he actually do a little bit better than he was expected to do? I really have no idea what the Giants' expectations were, and that's kind of why I'm such a big proponent of the five-minute rule. When a trade is made, what a Giants fan should have come up with within the first, oh, five minutes, half hour, hour, two hours, This is what I expect Chris Bryant will do for our team down the stretch. Um, Number of games played, number of home runs, OPS, how many games he would play defensively, whatever it was you would go with. What are the things that you would expect Chris Bryant to do? What is your expectation for what Chris Bryant will do? You You do the research, you lay it out, you play it out, you say, this is what I expect him to do. And you put up his numbers for the rest of the season, what you expect. And then at the end of the year, you assess how close were you. Were you really close? Were you kind of way far off? 
Were you a little bit more generous toward Bryant than you should have been? Were you a little bit more paranoid about Bryant than you should have been? The goal ought to be getting to the point where you as a fan are fairly good about, yeah, I, I, I nailed that pretty well. I nailed that pretty well. More often than not. More often than the average. Because it's really difficult to tell. Guy comes over. Well, uh, I think he uh, might be okay. Well, I, among my favorite trades along those lines, I, I like to bring this one up every once in a while because it's pretty much the ultimate win-win trade. People say, oh, you can't, you, both sides can't win on trade. Yeah, actually they can. Actually they can. In the mid-80s, the Tigers were fighting for the postseason in... 1987, I think, with Toronto is a really close race down the stretch. And Toronto had made a, or Detroit had made a rather huge trade to acquire Doyle Alexander to solidify their starting rotation down the stretch. And trust me, Toronto was a good squad. They were a very good team. Detroit was not being handed anything. Detroit had to go out there and win games. And I know right now, pitcher wins and losses aren't really considered very important. But Doyle Alexander down the stretch for Detroit went 7-0. and oh. It lasted until the last three games of the season. The last three games of the season, Detroit against Toronto. Detroit, I can't remember if they won the series or won. They won enough to win the division. Doyle Alexander was a huge part of that. Who did the Tigers give up in exchange? John Smoltz. Now, you tell me. Did both teams get exactly what they wanted or what? Both teams got exactly what they wanted. Detroit got to the playoffs. They got the they won the division. They made the postseason. They went. And Atlanta got John Small to us kind of okay for a while. The goal in a trade is to properly assess going both directions. Also, using the Smoltz trade as an example, it's probably a good thing in your organization to have five or six or seven good pitchers, five or six or eight or 10, 12 good hitters, because if it gets to that point where you do have to make that one trade and you do have to give up that one guy that, hey, we'll let you have this guy that you need for the stretch run, but we're going to get quality in return. We're going to get quality in return. We're not going to take your broken down China doll that isn't going to be able to play for us because he's not going to be good enough. We are going to want somebody that's good. We're going to want somebody that's very good, that has upside we're going to want to try to pull your John Smoltz. That's what they're going to try to want. Teams are looking for John Smoltz. When teams come a-calling to the Cubs, if the Cubs want to make trades for uh, veterans for prospects, the teams are not going to be asking for a Dominican Summer League pitcher with an ERA of 4.57. They're not going to be asking for a backup second baseman. They're going to walk in, oh, you want a quality guy of ours? Fine. Here's our list. It's short. Don't worry. Don't worry. The list is very short. 
Triantos, Casey, Alcantara, Brennan Davis, Christian Hernandez, and I always forget one of them. I always forget one of them. Pete Crow Armstrong. Give us one of those six, and then you can have that guy. Oh, but no, you you, you should take Jordan Wogu. No, 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 no. We'll take one of those six guys because that's what people want. Teams want John Smoltz. Teams want the guy who's going to crush. Team Come July, teams might want DJ Hers, or teams might want Jordan Wicks. But the only reason that they would want those guys is because Cubs and Cubs executives and Cubs fans don't want to give them up. It's very, 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 very easy to make a trade where, oh, your team has a short-term desire for this player that we have on our, our team, and we are going to trade you, whether it's Chris Bryant, whether it's Anthony Rizzo, whether it's Javier Baez, whoever the heck it is. We're going to trade you this guy that you really want, and we are going to extort from you the best prospect return that we can get. Because that's how it works. It's the other way that's hard. The other way is hard. The other way where, okay, I'm going to give up a player that I really don't want to give up. I'm going to give up a player that I don't want to give up. I'm going to get back somebody in return. And the day after I make my trade, my team might go into a tailspin that they never come out of. And I look like a complete idiot because I bought into my team actually being good. When I did research on fantasy football drafts for the NFL, there was one season that I won the championship. Kind of quite by accident, but I did. And there was one very aggressive move that I made. One very aggressive move when I won my championship. Miami had a team that was kind of messed up in the head and they traded their wide receiver, uh, wide receiver du jour, had no speed whatsoever, but he just kept making plays and kept making plays. They traded Wes Welker to the Patriots. And I figured, hmm, let me see. Wes Welker at wide receiver, Tom Brady at quarterback. I'm thinking, yeah, those two will probably match up at least a little tiny bit. And I'm pretty sure every, uh, everyone in every fantasy league across the country was thinking, well, I'd probably better plan on getting Wes Welker. The question was when to take him, when to take him, when to take him. He had no speed, nothing. All he did was get open and catch passes. And when I made the selection for Wes Welker, there were two responses across the table, the tables of uh, executives making decisions. One was, wow, you went for him a little bit early. And the other people were, oh, shit. As those were the two responses that I expected. Because... If you're going to get that guy who's going to make that difference, you have to get aggressive. You have to go out and make the move. If you decide Araldus Chapman is going to make you the guy that's going to win, win the World Series, 
then you kind of have to go out and get him. But if you make that move to go out and get Aroldis Chapman and he doesn't get it done for you, you look like a complete fool giving up quality for someone who doesn't get it done. The easy trades are the ones where you give up veterans and get back prospects. The trades the Cubs are making now are still the easy ones. Give up the this guy to get those two other guys. If it ends up being Wilson Contreras, Wilson Contreras traded for a couple of prospects will look horrible to Cubs fans. It will look horrible to people who are going to games. However, if the priority is 2023, 2024, and 2025 instead of 2022, it probably will make sense. That trade will be easy because even if the Cubs make a trade for a really good pitching prospect for Wilson Contreras, let's say it's a one-for-one. One. Contreras for a really good pitching prospect. Whoever it is, whatever the name is that is attached. Not really too worried about who it is or what for, for this experiment. If the Cubs make what looks like a good trade for Wilson Contreras, that's all you can beg. That's really all you can beg when you're doing those things. You want to get the best available return. You want to get the best available return. You want to get the best available return. When you're in the other scenario, you want to make the trade to get the player, but you don't want to end up losing a quality piece for the future. The trades the Cubs have made so far have been very easy. Many White Sox fans criticized the Cubs, still do, for the Jose Quintana trade. However, with Craig Kimbrell, they are backtracking, and it's kind of funny. What they're not realizing is the trade where you give up the really good prospects for the player who you think is going to do well is hard. It's hard. It's hard. As soon as people start to realize that trading for veterans is just as much of a crapshoot as anything else, then their opinion gets more valid. It's very difficult to tell. It, let, let's say a person has a 2.7 wins above, and a 2.5 wins above, and a 3.1 wins above, and a 2.8 wins above. Those are the four years that you see showing. 2.5, Doesn't matter if it's base, uh, fan graphs, doesn't matter if it's baseball prospectus, doesn't matter if it's baseball reference. You know, you have that basic, expectable uh, expected timeline and you kind of expect that's what he's going to do it's what he's done it's logical it makes sense that is what he should be doing and if all of a sudden he comes up and he shows up and he doesn't do that it's a case of i knew what i expected and he didn't do that I was wrong. I misread things. See how that works? If you get it right, if you get it right in advance, you get points. But you have to be as honest and complete and total up front 
if you're waiting until, oh, no, I, I really had some hesitation on him because I just, did, but you didn't say anything when it happened? That, that's nothing. That's garbage. That's hogwash. If you have an idea on, yeah, this trade makes a whole lot of sense because of etc., etc., etc. reasons. Whether it's a, we're giving you our veteran for your prospects, or we're giving you our prospects for your veteran, or we are giving a basket of players for another basket of players. If you nail who's going to do what on into the future, congratulations to you. You did a good job. That is a tough thing to accomplish. If you did a bad job of assessing, welcome to the universe. It's hard to do. Trading veterans for prospects is simple. Cubs traded Marisnik. Who's the best piece of... Oh, you're going to give us Anderson Espinosa. Sold. Ding. Who wants Javier Baez? Oh, you guys want Javier Baez, and you will let us have Pete Crow Armstrong if we toss in Trevor Williams. Ding. Trade. See how that works? It's real easy to do that. What's really hard, you can do the fantasy football thing. You can say, this guy is going to do sensationally for an entire season. That's easy. That is simple if you do enough homework. You're not going to get it right all the time. This guy's going to get hurt. That guy's going to explode. This guy's going to have much better season or much worse season or this guy's coach isn't going to use them or you know whatever but over a long season if you know what you're thinking about if you do your homework properly if you do the research you can generally probably figure out for an entire season who's probably going to be the better players you can probably figure that out it's not all that difficult what is difficult on the day of, who's going to do well on that day? That's the part of fantasy football that drove me out of it. Because I have no problem with projecting, I've done the homework, I think this guy will do better over the course of 16, 17 games, whatever it ends up being. But as far as who's going to actually be the best guy on the day, how do I know that? I'm not looking at the team's game plan. Among my favorites was anybody that's a running back for New England because what would inevitably happen was Bill Belichick would have four running backs and all four of his running backs on any given day. One of them could be the starter and get 17 carries and the other guy who was the guy who carried 17 last week and 14 the week before, gets two. I can't think with that. I can't figure that. I can't figure short-term nearly as easily as I can figure long-term. When you're talking about a fantasy draft, you're talking about who's going to have the best, best season. When you're putting in your fantasy lineup, you're guessing who's going to do well that week. When you're making a trade for two months, you are putting all of your um, pipeline chiclets on the line for 
two months. For two months. What is Anthony Rizzo going to do over two months? That's tough to do. That's really tough to do. The trades that are easy are the ones that are logical and make sense over a long-term period, one year, two year, five years, seven years. Those are easy. Pete Crow Armstrong, whether he has a fantastic career or not, he's going to provide more for the Cubs in 2022, 2023, 2024, 2025 than Javier Baez did for the Mets in 2021. Or else it'll it'll be an interesting story. Um, the way general managers become competent, the way general managers become competent is knowing who will do well over a season. The way they become brilliant is by guessing right who's going to do well the next two months, the next two weeks, the next two games, putting in this left-handed hitter against a left-handed starting pitcher when it makes absolutely no sense. Why are you playing him? This is a stupid matchup. Oh, oh, I see. He had two doubles and three at-bats. As much as sometimes we might want to think that we know what's going to happen, we really don't. Trading and fantasy drafts can be really easy on the surface. I have the best team. I'm re- when I was reading all of the comments of teams talking about their international signing pools, We are really happy with the players that we signed. The players that we signed today are going to take long steps toward advancing what we're trying to do as an organization. Something like that was said by every single organization. Now, perhaps, maybe, this time, this cycle, all of the international signings will do really well. Perhaps that will be the case. Usually it doesn't happen that way. Usually a couple teams do really well. A couple teams have a guy or two that do fairly well. And there are a couple teams that really, yeah, nothing happens. And it's hard to do this, but at some point, if your team, if your organization, if your pipeline is not kicking out international talent, is not kicking out pitching talent, is not kicking out hitting talent, all the way across the board, There are people. That is their job. Make sure the starting pitchers in this organization are being properly developed. If they are, you are doing your job, and you will get promoted. If they are not doing their job, you know what the flip side of that is. It's really hard making short-term decisions. It's really hard making short-term decisions in trades. In long-term acquisitions, it's kind of easier. And even if you completely screw up, if it makes sense, you can justify it. But when it comes down to our team needs to locate that player 
that is going to make the difference. So we are going to be much better in the postseason than we were had we not made the trade. And you make the trade and you give up long-term pieces to get short-term pieces. If those short-term pieces don't work out very well, that's not a good thing. Fantasy drafts and trades are very similar in that they are very unforgiving from a historic standpoint. Get it right, you're fine. Don't get it right, you look like a damn fool. And you can't know in advance which one it's going to be. You don't know in advance which one it's going to be. Is Craig Kimbrell going to be... Is Craig Kimbrell going to be good in 2022? We don't even know that. How can we... We don't know that. It's very disquieting to trade future value for short-term question marks. And until somebody grasps that, it's really difficult to take seriously their opinion on any kind of sort of trade because they think that because this or that, somebody is necessarily going to be good. Um, no, they're not necessarily going to be good because baseball is a hard thing to do, especially at the major league level. For the time I did fantasy football, it was really fun much of the time. But it was really frustrating when I got down to the point where I had most of the lineup figured out and I had this one running back or I could start this one wide receiver. And uh, you do the homework. Well, this guy should probably get me 60 yards and this guy should probably get me 53 Ah, and uh, it, it, that was hard. That was very hard to decide. Do I go with this guy or do I go with that guy? When there was complete lack of information as far as who was actually going to get used in the game. I had one game where it might have even been the playoffs. I think it was. I had... Six players in one of those situations. Six players, and I could play five of them. Okay, I'm going to play this guy and this guy. Okay, uh, I'm going to play this guy. All right, I, 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 got my, I got my five and my six figured out. That's fine. No, no worries. One of the guys was a 3 p.m. running back playing a game of 3 p.m. I was quite familiar with him. He had a history of occasionally missing a game. But there was no talk even remotely of this guy's going to miss this game today. So I was thinking, okay, yeah, I'll leave him in. He usually got the ball a bunch both on the ground and through the air. About 10 minutes before the game started, oh, um, he's not going to play today. He's out. What? The other guy, if I would have known that the 3 o'clock guy was going to be out, I'd have played the other guy, and I'd have been in good shape. But I didn't know until way too late that... The one guy wasn't going to play, so I really didn't have any other options to go with. 
You don't know what's going to happen in the short term. You don't know what's going to happen in the short term. You don't know what's going to happen in the short term. And neither do general managers, neither do executives, neither do owners, neither do coaches. You have hunches, you play hunches, you read the, uh, you, you check to see how this guy's done against that pitcher before, how this guy does against that type of pitcher. But you don't know. You really don't know. When you're dealing with complete unknowns, it is very difficult to have any total confidence in any decision you're making. Which is why trades for short-term pieces, giving away long-term value, like a Caleb Killian, like a Pete Crow Armstrong, like an Eloy Jimenez, like, an, like a Dylan Cease, like a Glaber Torres, it's hard to know how good is the guy I'm giving up going to be, how good is the guy I'm going to get back going to be. You don't know that. You can't know that until it plays out. People who make like these decisions are simple are fools. They should be ignored. They should be disregarded. The Yankees knew they had to had to upgrade their offense to make the postseason. They almost didn't make the postseason. They upgraded and they barely made the postseason and they lost the wild card game. Anthony Rizzo helped them get to the wild card game. He did not help them win the wild card game, which they did not win. It's really tough to make those decisions. Five, six years from now, perhaps Yankees fans will be kicking themselves. Why did we give up Kevin Alcantara to get Anthony Rizzo? No, 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 no. That's a question you ask on the day of the trade not five or six years later, that's cheating. That's reading the end of the book before you read the fourth chapter. You're supposed to read the book from the start to the finish. If you're going to assess a trade, assess it as it is being made, not six or seven or eight years later. Fantasy drafts and trades are based on how well the players are going to do, and you don't know what that's going to be until that happens. Thanks for stopping by. I'll have another podcast up soon.